Our scripture today is from Psalm 55, as our pastor said, and it's on page 406 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. I'll read verses 1 through 7 and 16 through 19. Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked. For they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. But I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, God who is enthroned forever will hear them and afflict them, men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. How's that for an entrance? Okay, I want to see, don't say the name of it, but raise your hand if you know what that lick is the beginning of the song. How many? Who is the oldest person in here who would recognize that? Let's see. John, put your arm down real quick. I'm not the oldest. Okay. Who's the youngest person? How many, who, who knows the, what that song is the beginning to? What, what, anybody? Okay. I'll, I'll say it's, oh, do you know? Go ahead, Miss Davis. No, the song that you just heard. Fall like an eagle. Very good. Well done, Claire. Uh, Claire, I would figure if it, you were your age, you would know the, the seal version, right? How many of y'all have seen Space Jam, the movie? And at the end, seal, a guy named Seal sings it. The original guy back when music was music uh, is Steve Miller. It's a Steve Miller band. They were originally the Steve Miller Blues Band, and it came out in 1976. Anybody remember this album cover? Are you old enough to remember it? Okay, very good. Um, But uh, there was an earlier version of the song. The album came out in 1976. There was a 1973 version that he sang, even on the Midnight Special. Anybody remember that show? Uh, And it was a little bluesier, and it was a little more... um, I guess you could say uh, frustrated and cynical in a way because he starts out with these words with that oldest version of the song from 1973. He says, what about the babies who don't have enough to eat? What about the children with no shoes on their feet? What about the people with no houses? Um, or excuse me, what about the people living in the street? And then he says, oh, what's the solution? Later on he says, oh, there is a solution. But in the earlier version he's a little more negative about it. And then he says, I want to fly like an eagle to the sea, fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. He makes it very clear in that earliest version that what he wants to do is just get away from all the pain, all the wrong, all the difficulty, all the injustice 
in the world, all the hatred, all the violence. He just wants to get away. Well, David wanted to fly like an eagle, get away from things. If you read verses 6 and 7 in Psalm 55, now I know he uses the image of a dove, and that's fine. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Well, have you ever been there? with something you have struggled with. You wanted to get away from something that life has handed you. You wanted to get away from a certain problem, a certain situation, a certain person, a certain emotion with which you have struggled. Wanted to get away from some guilt that you just can't shake. Something from the past that has been dogging you for so long, and you just want to get away. That's what David was wanting to do. Now, he had a presenting problem, which was he had to literally flee and fly away from his home city of Jerusalem. Why? His son, Absalom, had betrayed him and was running him out of town. He had revolted against his father, and David has to leave his very kingdom, his very city, and is now on the run with some of his loyal followers. And so really what he is dealing with is not just the threat of death and therefore fear. He's dealing with betrayal from his own son and also from his very, very close friend whose name was Ahithophel. Ahithophel. They were once the best of friends, closest of friends, shared all these experiences together, laughed together, wept together, no doubt, and yet now Ahithophel has turned against him as well. You can study all of this in 1 Samuel 15 through 18 if you like, but here's this old friend of David's who has turned against him. And so physically, he has literally gotten away. But now he wants to get away spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. You have been there before, haven't you, with something you've struggled with. I wish I could just get away from it all. Whether it's guilt or or, or disappointment or stress, anxiety, whatever it might be, see if you can uh, relate with David's own emotional state. Look at verses 2. Rather, verse 2, please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. The word there for overwhelmed was back, used back then in a military fashion to describe an army that has just been uh, surrounded and is being overwhelmed on the battlefield, and now they are fleeing in every direction. Have you mentally or emotionally felt like that, where you can't even gather your thoughts together, cannot even gather your emotions together, and you're really feeling out of control? That's what David is feeling. He's feeling a lot of anxiety. You know, anxiety disorders are the most common illness in the United States. It really is on the rise, too, in my opinion. The National Institute of Mental Health took a survey of thousands a few years ago and found that anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults in the U.S. That's 20% of us. One out of five of us struggles with anxiety in a profound way, and I think it's climbing. I really do. Now, the thing is, anxiety disorders are highly treatable. Uh, You can get some meds for it, which God made, by the way, and get some therapy for it, which God created that too, and that's all good and fine. The sad thing is only about a third of the people seek out that kind of treatment. Sometimes even people in the church don't do that because of how image-conscious they are when that's precisely what they need. The problem is, though, if you even when you get some of that help When you use it not for management but for escape, it gets dangerous. Well, have you ever struggled with stress or anxiety over something and just wanted to get away from it? You're not alone. You're in great company. You're in David's company. In fact, look at verses 4 and 5 and see if you can relate with this. He says, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop 
shaking. And he means that literally. He says, my heart is quaking. My BP is soaring. It's skyrocketing. I'm having an attack of anxiety, oh God. This is David the giant killer. David the warrior. David the general. David the king. It's bad enough that it's going on internally, and yet sometimes even as David had external aspects going on with Ahithophel and Absalom, you and I sometimes can be stressed on the inside, and sometimes situations in the world don't help. External things going on just add to our inner struggle, and David talks about really uh, that kind of thing in verses 8 through 11. And I'm just using some phrases he says, storm of hatred, violence and conflict, wickedness, Threats and cheating, everything is falling apart. These dynamics on the outside are affecting his dynamics on the inside. It was the poet uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, in one of his poems, he talks about life piled on to life. Have you ever been there when you've got layers of stress, burdens of things to take care of, things to work through, things that stress you out, and it's life piled on to life? You feel that way when you have multiple difficulties that you seem to be juggling or carrying along. And those outside forces add to your inside struggle. But the deepest hurt that David feels in this particular situation isn't even the fear of being caught and put to death. It's betrayal. It's betrayal. And he talks about that with Ahithophel beginning in verse 12. Let's go to the next verses. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal. What that means is my friend, the one whom I knew and have known all these years, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Sometimes I could apply even here. You know, I used to go to church with you. I used to enjoy seeing you in the neighborhood. I used to love having lunch with you. I used to love having this sense of companionship with you, but now you have betrayed me. You were like a Judas, like a Brutus to me with what you have done, and you have been so unkind to me. Look at verses 20 and 21. He goes on. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath our daggers. You've been there maybe when someone has kind of left you dry. Maybe you disclosed something to someone thinking it was confidential and yet you find out that they told someone else. Uh, You find this person treating you kindly in one context and, and in a very accepting way in a different context they just cut you loose. And David just says, take me to the desert. Take me to the desert. And you and I can be that way. Somebody knows where our particular bruise is, our particular wound is, where we're most vulnerable, and they press that in a way that is so unkind, and you just feel like, I thought you were my friend. thought you cared about me. thought you accepted me even with that particular raw part of my own soul, and yet you do that to me. And you get to that point of wanting to just get away. But then David comes to realize the greatest of truths, and you and I can hear this, but my hope and prayer is this morning that you will really embrace it in the depths of your soul. The the best place for us to fly away is to fly to God. And that's not running away from reality, by the way. It's not the, the Marxist idea of religion being an opiate of the people where it just anesthetizes us you know, from the pain of the world or our inner pain. That's not what it's about at all. It's really reality. When you run to God, you're not running from reality. You're running to reality. That's the gospel. 
And the real gospel there is no matter how far down you are, you are never too far from being able to call on that God who can give you peace and rest. He will hear your cries. David celebrates this even in the midst of his pain. He knows in faith that that's going to happen. Go to verse 16 there if you would. But I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. And again, I love how David is you know, these, these emotions are churning within him, but at the same time he can say, this is how I feel now, but I know I can call on him. That's where you and I can be so often. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. I can call on him, and I trust that he will rescue me no matter how low I get. And let me say, no matter how low I am, this is David... <laughs> Yeah, he was a king, but he was also what? An adulterer, a murderer, a liar. And yet here he comes to God himself, poor in spirit, as Jesus said, and calls upon God to be rescued. John Duncan is a pastor in Texas, and his wife struggled with cancer for many years. And the good news is she's been in remission for a time But some time ago, he was asked what he learned during that time when she was struggling so so hard with with the radiation, the chemo, the the illness itself, and the uncertainty about it all, the frightening uh, aspects of it all. And he summed it up with a quote by George Mueller, who was that great and mighty evangelist from the 19th century, wonderful evangelist uh, who founded some 177 orphanages all through England, literally rescued over 10,000 homeless kids in these orphanages, a mighty man, a mighty communicator. He was just known to be a powerful man. But I like this quote that he said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. And here you go, faith begins where man's power ends. And that's what Pastor Duncan said. He said, I have learned those words, particularly at the end. Faith begins where man's power ends. And he went on to say, through my wife's illness, I have learned that I can go to God when circumstances are beyond my control. I have learned in faith to let others minister to me and my family when I need ministry. And finally, I have learned in faith to walk the darkness, but to cling to the light. And again, however far you are down in the valley, you're never too far from the call of God. And you know what? Even in those deepest, darkest places, you can still look up. And when you cry out in faith, you can see the hope of the light of God himself. In fact, if you look at your bulletin, I don't think I brought mine up here, but refer to your bulletin if you would. Uh, Last Tuesday in staff meeting, we always have a devotion time, and uh, Blake shared a devotion and basically shared this prayer, and it's beautiful. It's from a book called The Valley of Vision. It's a book of Puritan prayers, and I just thought the whole prayer was just beautiful. I'm just going to read the beginning of it and the ending of it. But, but I think this is just a marvelous, marvelous prayer uh, from the Puritan era. And it says this, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. And I would add to him, then by the mountains of suffering, I behold thy glory. And look at what he says at the end of this wonderful prayer. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory 
in my valley. No matter how far you are down in the valley, if you look in faith, you can see his glory and he can reach down and pull you out of it. And David remembers this and claims it. In fact, the key verse of all of Psalm 55 is verse 22, which reads, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Now, Peter, the apostle, years later, picked up on that verse and quotes it himself in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. You might be familiar with it. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Now, now, now I want you to be clear on this. Peter doesn't say, cast all your burdens on God and your burdens will fly away. No, he's saying, cast all your burdens on him and God will take care of you. He will not let you slip and fall. He will pull you out of that ditch. You need to be faithful and do your part, but trust that in the long run, he will bring you out of this deep, dark phase through which you go. And think about it. I like to think about this because Peter had an interesting perspective that David did not, didn't he? Uh, in his lifetime, David did not know the living Christ as Christ was on earth. Peter did. You know, I wonder what it was like for people like David, pre-Christ, to live through such difficulties and yet remain faithful. It must have been difficult. But here comes Peter, who went through difficulties himself, as you well know. But once the Spirit came upon him at Pentecost, he understood things so much better. He was amazing and not being too burdened by too many things. Because he knew the one who said what? Come All of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you, fill in the blank, what? Rest. He knew that rest giver, that peace giver in a way that David never did in his lifetime. And he can take that burden of whatever it might be, failure, regret, disappointment, yes, stress and strain, and give you rest. And as Peter says, at some point in that, he can use you as his honored witness. How so? By enabling you to be, as Henry Nouwen said, a wounded healer. Some of the great people today, some of the great Christians today are people who have gone through all kinds of wounds, whether it's the wound of a failure or a wound of abuse, a wound of some disappointment in their life, a wound of grief, whatever it might be, and they can take that wound within themselves and touch the life of someone else who is dealing with that very same wound and bring healing to them, and in a wonderful way, healing back to them as well. Now, I could, I could think of a lot of people. I, I'm, looking, I'm honestly looking out here right now. I think, gosh, I could use him as an example. I could use her as an example. I could use anybody else. But I guess it's because he and I, we were uh, texting each other the other day, giving each other a hard time. But I think of Ralph Garth. That's a good example of somebody. That's the picture from AOL or AL.com when they did a great story on him a couple years ago. But here's a guy, if you know, Pastor Garth at Truvine, who takes his past pains to transform the lives of others. Here's a guy that takes the past pains of what? Addiction and poverty and drug pushing and all manner of stuff in his life. And now every day, every day touches the wounds of other people, literally pulling people out of ditches and valleys themselves so that they can be brought to a better life. Um, a while back I was talking to Caleb. Now I can dog Caleb since he's not here. You know, y'all are okay with that, aren't you? Sure. Uh, Caleb went one Sunday to Truvine and was there. I don't know if any of you guys were there, but you know, they started engaging at one point in worship in, in what they would call deliverance ministry. I mean, they were doing, you know, they were doing the laying on of hands. Austin, were you there? 
Okay, you, you missed it, but, you know, laying on of hands. And he said, oh, some people came up and felt like they had something demonic in them, and we prayed over them. And Ralph laughs. He said, man, Caleb was in there. We started doing that. He bolted out the back door. I just love that. <laughs> Caleb denies that to this day, by the way. He said, oh, man, he, went, he took off. And uh, I just love that. And I think, okay, that's cool, and we don't really do that kind of deliverance stuff here. I don't see us doing that based on our own tradition and how God has wired us, and that's fine. It's probably desperately needed where Ralph does that. And honestly, I trust Ralph with that kind of thing as he ministers to these folks. But I started thinking about that because you would talk about, yeah, I mean, this one thing that happened, it really was miraculous and all. And I started to ask myself, what is the greater miracle? Is that sometimes something through a deliverance ministry or prayer or act, whatever it might be, and somebody gets healed up a little bit, which is wonderful. That is what we would want for them. Or is it every bit as much a miracle that this man gets up every morning, every morning, in a world that you and I don't wake up to? And he goes out each and every day as a wounded healer himself to very uh, different places, poor places, sometimes scary places that would be very uncomfortable for a lot of us in here. And yet he goes out there every day and finds those wounded folks, people who are themselves in a valley, people who would give anything to get away from their own socioeconomic situation or their own, yes, drug addiction situation or their prostitution situation or whatever it might be. And he does that every day. And I think, man, that's every bit as miraculous as somebody doing better after laying hands on them, whatever. That's an even greater miracle, I think, every day doing that kind of thing, being, yes, a wounded healer, being lifted up and being an honored servant, as Peter would say. And David does this for you and me as he encourages us with our own pain. You know, he he encourages us to be healers ourselves. Not in an, an escapist fashion. In fact, he really does call us to go out into the world to be healers as well. No doubt that's what the living Christ wants for you and for me. But yes, let me say, even as we engage the present whether it's helping Ralph at Truvine or, or, or going to Mongolia or going to um, uh, someplace downtown, Jesse's place or wherever, to help feed people, minister to people, uh, uh, wherever it might be, firehouse, shelter, all these ministries that we do on a regular basis, that's wonderful. Even as we do that and we reach people in darkness and dare to go there, which this church is so wonderful at doing, even so... We've got to confess and appreciate that it's wonderful to savor what awaits in the future. Can't wait for that. I was reminded about that just this week, and I use this to kind of segue us to the marvelous table where we, were, we will engage in the Lord's Supper. It's a guy named Dr. Jeremy Begbie who teaches at Duke Divinity School but does a lot of mission work in South Africa. This is actually a... Uh, uh, a shanty town that's outside of Johannesburg, and that's where he and his church go and minister a good bit. And the first time he went over there, he went to a worship service, and I think the church is just kind of over this way from it, uh, from that particular picture. That was the best one I could find, but that's where he goes with his church every year. And he went there for the first morning to worship with the people. And, and let me just read what he said. This is as he was going in there and getting ready to sit down and worship with these people in that township. And he said, I was told immediately before the service that a house around the corner had just been burned to the ground because the man who lived there was a suspected thief. A week before that, a tornado had cut through the township, ripping apart 50 homes, and five people had been killed. 
And then I was told that the very night before our worship time, a gang hounded down a 14-year-old, a member of the church's Sunday school, and stabbed him to death. And he said, the pastor, when worship began, he said this opening prayer, Lord, you are the creator and the sovereign, but why did the wind come like a snake and tear our roofs off? Why did a mob cut short the life of one of our own children when he had everything to live for? Over and over again, Lord, we are in the midst of death here. And Begbie goes on to say, as he spoke, the congregation responded with a dreadful sighing and groaning. And then once he finished his prayer, very slowly, very slowly, the whole congregation began to sing. At first, very quietly, then louder. And they sang, and they sang, and they sang song after song of praise. Praise to a God who in Jesus had plunged into the very worst to give us a promise of an ending beyond all imagining. The singing gave the congregation a foretaste of the end. And Begbie closes with this. He said, Christian hope isn't about looking around at the state of things now and trying to imagine where it's all going. It's not about trying to calculate the future from the present. It's about breathing now the fresh air of the ending tasting the spices and sipping the wine of the feast to come. And so now you and I come to this feast, which is a foretaste of that great time where we will ultimately share together the opportunity to glorify God forever. And so even as you and I are walking through the days of difficulty, those days where we do just want to escape, just want to get away, Let's remember that the best place to fly is not away, and it's definitely not to the desert. It's to fly to God himself. He will not deliver us in some immediate fashion from the pain that we face. Did he do that for the one who hung on the cross for us? No, he did not. But as we carry our own crosses, we can be wounded healers to others amidst the darkness And that will help us come out of our own darkness. And we've got to trust that he will do just that. Rescue us, as David says. And David himself wound up being rescued. He will do the same for you and me. Let's pray together. As we partake of this meal, oh God, may we remember that people in townships in South Africa and in churches in Mongolia or Rio or downtown or wherever we might go, churches that we have helped to construct They are about to partake of this meal as well, many of those churches. And we thank you for that reality that as brothers and sisters, we share in this meal, not just with each other in this immediate place, but all over the planet. And we thank you for that gift. We think of that church in Johannesburg where so much dreadful darkness is going on. We think of the church over across the way in Inglenook, Truvine, And sometimes wonder, what is it like to literally live, to live there, to grow up there, to face the fears there that we don't face here? Lord, we thank you that as brothers and sisters we can pray for each other, journey with one another, help pull each other out of the ditches and the darknesses, some of them of our own making, some of them the making of our incredibly broken world. And yet we thank you that we can cast our burdens on you, and that you will indeed lift us up. 
So with hearts lifted up, be with us now as we partake of this blessed meal, reminded especially of what your son did by removing the curse of sin and pain from this world, from us, ultimately. And help us to engage now in this foretaste of your future kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We will enter into uh, this supper, and, it, and, and if you are unfamiliar with how we do it uh, in this service, we come forward and receive it and go back to your seat. Don't feel like you've got to partake of it right here. Go back, spend some time in prayer and meditation, and when you feel led to do that. Uh, folks in this section will come up this way, go back to where you're seated, you all toward the wall, and then going back to where you're seated. The table awaits. Just getting to their seats and need some time of prayer, but if you've already partaken, uh, I would ask that you, um, first of all, just lift up any burden you have. If you had to pinpoint one burden in your heart right now with which you struggle, whether it's uh, some sin that you just can't seem to, to shake loose, if, if it's some frustration with a person or a group of people, uh, is it some shame that you have, is it a failure that, that you can't uh, uh, just get off of your shoulders? Is it some stress about something, something you're really preoccupied with? Whatever that is, will you just take a moment of silent prayer and just lift that up to God and his son, the living Christ, uh, toward whom you should fly all of those prayers that they would lift you up. Now I want to ask that you lift up someone who is really on your heart. You know that they are going through a dark time, a heavy time, a time of real strain, a time of real hardship. Uh, and you know how difficult it is for them, how frustrating it is, maybe how exhausting it is. Who comes to mind when I mention that person? And will you just silently lift up that person who's carrying that burden? that they might cast their care upon the Lord. Lord, as that Puritan prayer says, even in the darkest valleys we can look up, and if we look through the eyes of faith, we can see a glimmer of your light. And so we are assured again that we can climb out of that valley and reach you once again only by calling on you and asking you to reach down to us, which you did most magnificently and miraculously through sending your son Jesus to us who walked in the worst of darkness that this world has to offer, who was battered around by how this world can really work us over. He encountered it in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. And yet he did that for the sake of our own burdens, our own sin, and we give thanks and glory to you for that. So be with us now during this time of commitment and decision. 
that all the more we would want to serve you more fully and truly be wounded healers for those who are struggling, whom we can reach in those places of destitution and uncertainty and grief and dysfunction. We thank you that we can be called to be your servants in the honor of just doing that, that we might glorify your name. We pray these things in your name. Amen.